2 Corinthians chapter 9 says this, Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you, to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achai has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of, to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you may have, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely, he is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. I don't know if you've ever been around a person who, how do I put it, is very tight or frugal with money, like extremely frugal, cheap, you might say. And I'm not talking about being responsible or just kind of uh, being frugal. I'm talking about being so tight with your money that it literally impacts the relationships around you. Remember several years ago, I met this, this guy and uh, we were just kind of becoming friends and uh, shortly after I met him, um, it was his birthday. So just, you know, kind of wanting to be a good friend and just kind of uh, wanting to just kind of build a relationship, I just got him a little something. It was maybe $7, $8, something like that. Um, so then after that, about two weeks after, it was my birthday. And of course, I wasn't expecting, I wasn't expecting anything. Uh, I had just given him that just kind of to be nice. But my birthday comes up, and then he, he gives me a card, and in the card is this gift card. And the gift card was for $6.50. And I'm like, $6.50? That's almost the exact same price that I paid for the gift that I had given him. I'm like, did he like go online and see exactly how much I paid? And, and it wasn't about the gift. It was just like, you don't really understand the reason I gave you the gift. It wasn't because I was looking for something in return. You know, sometimes people are like that. I remember my uh, friend in seminary, he was probably my best friend in seminary, really great guy, loved the Lord, but when it came to giving of his time or resources, uh, he held on to those things really tightly. Uh, we would spend a lot of time together. We'd hang out in the cafeteria. We'd eat dinner just about every day together. Uh, he was in a small group with me. Um, really good friend. Spent some time running together. Uh, but when it came to giving something, he ran the other way. I remember one time I asked him to, 
to give me a ride to the airport. And this was like a week or two in advance. And he says, yeah, I can do that. Uh, and then like the day before, he's like, can, can you maybe find someone else to give you a ride to the airport? And it wasn't like any, he had anything to do. He just didn't want to do it. He'd never go out to eat with me at all because he didn't want to spend any money. Uh, he would keep switching cell phones. I don't know exactly why he would keep switching cell phones, but he would keep switching cell phones. And eventually I lost, lost touch with him because I lost his number because he kept switching them uh, over and over again. There's something incredibly stifling about, about being around someone uh, that's very cheap or stingy with their money. On the other hand, there's something that's freeing uh, about being around someone who's generous with their time and possessions. And uh, I personally, I've been encouraged by so many in, in the church here. Some of, some of you are the most generous people I've ever met. And so I've been encouraged by many of you. And uh, so when we talk about generosity, it's not just about how much money we have. It's about the state of our heart. It's whether we have the, the motivation to be p- giving people. That could be if we have a lot of money or just a little bit of money. There's a recent article in Forbes magazine, and it reported the conclusion of a man by the name of Chuck Feeney's journey. And his goal in life was to give away everything that he had, and he had a lot. The article was titled, The Billionaire Who Wanted to Die Broke is Now Officially Broke. He was 89 at the time the article was written. Uh, He co-founded the uh, Duty Free Shoppers in 1960. He amassed billions and billions of dollars. And throughout uh, the last four decades, he's given away $8 billion to charities, universities, foundations worldwide. He did most of it anonymously. And he also got 210 other billionaires to sign what is called the Giving Pledge to give away a good percentage of their uh, proceeds to charity. In an article called Zero is the hero, Feeney summarized his mission in a few sentences. He said this, I see little reason to delay giving when so much good can be achieved through supporting worthwhile causes. He says, besides, it's a lot more fun to give while you live than give while you're dead. Now at the conclusion of his journey to be broke, he tells Forbes, we learned a lot. We would do some things differently, but I'm very satisfied. I feel very good about completing this on my watch. He says, and to those wondering about giving while living, try it, he says, you'll like it. Generosity. Generosity defined by the Cambridge Dictionary this way, as willing to give money, help, kindness, etc., especially more than is usual or expected. Again, it's not about how much or how little we have. Sometimes the people who are the poorest are the people who are most generous. It's about the state of the heart. And as believers in Christ, generosity is kind of at the core of who we are as believers. Because we believe that Jesus has been incredibly generous to us. He's given everything for us. He paid the ultimate price for us so that we could have eternal life. And so God in turn calls us to be generous to those around us. Uh, Look at what it says in James chapter 1, verse 27. Uh, It says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. In the passage that we're looking at today, Paul is talking to the Corinthians about a collection that he's going to be taking for uh, believers who are in need in the church in Jerusalem, uh, and he's kind of preparing them for that gift that they're going to be giving to the church in Jerusalem. And as he is kind of prepping them for that, he talks about this idea of generosity, and he shows us four benefits of generosity in this passage. 
The first thing he tells us is that generosity is glorifying to God. But when he's, we're talking about generosity, he, he wants to make clear it's not about the action. It's not about what you give. It's not about how much you give. Again, it's the state of the heart. And specifically, Paul says there's a particular type of giver or a particular type of generosity that's glorifying to God, and that's cheerful giving or cheerful generosity. It says in the text that God loves a cheerful giver. That doesn't mean that God doesn't love those who are not cheerful. All it's saying is God looks with favor. It pleases God when people give and are cheerful. And again, we're not talking just about giving to the church. We're talking about giving in, in any sense, of whether it's time, resources, or opportunities. But Saul, Paul says it's about the motivation. And he says God loves a cheerful giver. And then he outlines two kind of improper motivations for giving. He says that we shouldn't give reluctantly or under compulsion. We shouldn't give reluctantly or under compulsion. The word reluctantly uh, is probably not the best translation of the Greek word. The Greek word lupe usually means grief or sadness. And so Paul is saying you shouldn't give out of sadness. You shouldn't give out of kind of these negative feelings. One uh, author put it this way, that the Corinthians shouldn't be driven by externally imposed negative emotions. He says you shouldn't be driven by sadness. It shouldn't be this feeling of, oh, like I should be giving, I should be doing this, so I don't really want to, but I feel bad if I don't, so I guess I'm going to do it. He also says he shouldn't be given under compulsion. It shouldn't be because someone else says you should do this. It shouldn't be driven by negative emotions. It shouldn't be driven by compulsion. Simone de Beauvoir put it this way, that's what I consider true generosity. You give your all, and yet you always feel as if it costs you nothing. Just generosity is not meant to be a chore. It's not meant to be something that's done because we feel bad or because we feel under compulsion. It's meant to be the overflow of a heart that's satisfied in God. It's because God has given us so much that we want to give to those around us. So imagine that my anniversary is coming up this Friday, and it's not. My anniversary is in May, but imagine it, it was coming up this Friday. And I haven't thought about any present that I'm going to give my wife. And so I realize my anniversary is on Friday. I'm like, oh, shoot, what am I going to give her? People are asking me, what are you, what are you going to do for your wife for your anniversary? Now, let's say I don't really want to give her a present, but I feel like the good husbandly thing to do would be to give her a present. Now, let's say I'm going to go out and get her a huge present. Let's say I'm going to sell my car, and then I'm going to use the proceeds to buy her a $5,000 necklace. And so it's our anniversary, and I come and I give her the necklace, and I say, here it is. I hope you enjoy it. By the way, it cost me my car. You're going to probably have to give me some more rides around town now. I don't think she'd be happy about that. I mean, it would be an exorbitant gift, but I don't think she would be happy about that because I wasn't doing it out of a heart of love, nor would it be a wise thing to do. But on the other hand, if I bought her a gift that was $50 that I'd really thought about and really wanted her to enjoy, and I gave it to her on her anniversary, and I said, I really hope you like this. I just want to let you know that I love you so much. She'd like that kind of gift, because it's from the heart. 
And so Paul is not saying, oh yeah, you just be a generous person, just do what you're supposed to do. He says, no, this generosity should be from the heart. Should be the overflow of the heart. And so that's why he says in, in verse 7 that we should be give what's on our heart. He says, each one must give as he's decided in his heart. There's an old story about a, a woman who gave a dollar and a quarter to her child at church. And she said, you can give either one when the offering plate comes by. You can give the quarter or the dollar. So after church, the mother asked the daughter, so which one did you decide to give? And she said, well, at first I was going to give the dollar, but then I decided I'd be a lot more cheerful if I gave the quarter, so I gave the quarter. The truth is that's okay. It's okay. A small gift or no gift at all is better than giving a gift begrudgingly. It's not about the gift. It's about the state of the heart. It's meant to be from a heart that's satisfied in God. God loves a cheerful giver. So that's the first thing he says about generosity. He says generosity is glorifying to God when it's driven from the heart that's satisfied in God. The second thing he says is generosity is satisfying. There's an incredible, there are incredible benefits to generosity. And uh, Paul lays out an illustration here. He says, when you're generous, it's kind of like sowing seeds. So let's say, I, let's say it was the spring and I was going to plant a garden. So I go to Home Depot and I get a bunch of seeds. I get carrot seeds, I get pepper seeds, I get tomato seeds, and I get onion seeds. And then I get home, go home and even though there's like 20 of each or more in each package, I decide I'm just going to plant one seed. And I'm going to save the rest for the future. So I plant one carrot seed, one pepper seed, one tomato seed, one onion seed. Now, if I do that, at best, if everything goes well, at the end of the season, I'm going to have one carrot, I'm going to have one onion, maybe a couple peppers, maybe a few tomatoes. That's just everything goes well. I'm only planting one seed. But if I go to Home Depot and I buy five packages of each, and I go home and I plant 100 peppers, 100 tomatoes, 100 carrots, 100 onions, if everything goes well, I'm going to have so much food that I'm not going to know what to do with it. I'm just going to be giving it away to everybody that, I can, that might be interested in taking some because I just have so much. I might even have to open a roadside stand. I just have so much food to give away. Paul says the same thing is true when it, in regard to generosity. If we sow a little, we'll reap a little. Now, sometimes when we think about this idea of generosity, uh, people will throw out the phrase, uh, you can't outgive God. Now, there, there's a truth to that statement in a sense that God provides for his children, and oftentimes, you know, we get back more than we even give. You know, you've heard stories about people who you know, maybe gave $100 and they get $500 back. Things like that happen sometimes. But I think when we focus on that, they kind of miss the point. Paul is not talking primarily about, hey, you should give to other people and then you'll be blessed more financially. He's saying, you give more to others and then God will give you more to bless other, even more people. He says that he's going to increase the harvest of our righteousness if we sow a lot doesn't mean that God will make us more comfortable. Sometimes we think that if we give, then God's just going to make us more comfortable. We won't have any problems or we'll have good health. That doesn't always happen. 
But increased giving from the heart always means increased fruitfulness. Verse 8, Paul says this, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. In verse 10, Paul says that God will increase the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11 says you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. And when we're generous, it means God can use us in greater ways to bless those around us. Uh, I love the illustration Randy Elkhorn gives. He says, imagine you go to uh, FedEx and you need to have a package overnighted. You go there and you give them the package, and what would you think if you found out that that delivery person took that package home with them? Maybe you'd go to them, you'd confront them and say, hey, I brought you this package and you took it home with you. Like, what's the deal? And imagine that delivery person responded and said, well, if you wanted it, why did you give it to me? And you'd go on to explain, well, I gave it to you so you could deliver it to the person who needs it. And that's what God does. He doesn't give us things so we can just hoard them ourselves. He gives us resources, time, possessions, so that we can distribute it to those who need them. And the thing is, I think God only will give us what we can handle. He'll only give us what we have proved ourselves faithful with. For example, let's say that you were, had a friend in Williamsville who's having a birthday. You wanted to give them a card and a $25 gift card. And so you wouldn't probably hesitate to put that in an envelope, put a stamp on it, and, to, and, and put it to, take it to the post office to have it delivered to Williamsville. But imagine that you had a family heirloom that was irreplaceable and fragile. Would you pack that up in a box and just take it to the post office and say, hey, try to be careful with it? No, you wouldn't do that. You'd either take it yourself or you'd have somebody else that you really, really trusted take it. And I think in the same way, God is going to only trust us with the things that we've proven ourselves faithful to. It's kind of the point of Matthew 25 when he talks about the parable of the talents. God will give us what we've been faithful with. And so we need to be faithful with the little, little things and prove ourselves generous people. And then God can use us in incredible ways to bless those around us. The third thing Paul says about generosity is that generosity is encouraging. Verse 12 says, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. So there's an added benefit in generosity in that when we are generous with those around us, it causes those people who we bless to praise God, to give thanksgiving to God. I've told this story, but I think it's worth repeating and kind of looking at it from a different angle. When we were... Uh, and it was the fall of 2015. We really needed a roof on our church building. Uh, we started to have leaks over in the building next door. Um, knew we needed a roof, and we had been saving up since the church opened. We had a significant amount of money put away, but we were about $15,000 short. And so we started praying in December of 2015 that God would meet that deficit that we had so we could replace our roof. Then at the beginning of January, I got a call from uh, somebody from the chapel, and uh, they said, well, I just wanted to let you know that uh, we took an offering Christmas Eve, 
And we decided we're going to give you half of the proceeds of, of that offering, and it was about $15,000. Now, I think about that, and you think about, you know, and they had no idea that we needed a roof or anything like that. It was completely uh, God's providence in that. But you think about that, and you think about the people who gave on that particular night. You think about their generosity. You think about the chapel who, were, who was really generous that they were giving that away to us. And so they were incredibly generous, and we were grateful for that, but we were also grateful to God because God knew exactly what we needed, and he provided at just the right time. And so their generosity resulted in praise to God, thanksgiving to God on our behalf. And so when we're generous with those around us, it's not just about the gift. It, makes, it can make the people who are the recipients of our generosity praise the Lord and see the faithfulness of God. Just a few weeks ago, we had a group come up from South Carolina, and uh, they were incredibly generous in putting on this vacation Bible school and helping us with Church in the Park and all the things that we were doing. Incredibly generous. But it also showed us the faithfulness of God. You know, the, it, how it happened was just kind of completely, you know, you might say a coincidence, but I believe God ordained it. Uh, we had no connection to that church. Uh, the pastor just kind of looked on the internet found our church and called me up and said, hey, uh, we just wanted to know if you wanted us to come up and do a vacation Bible school. You know, incredibly generous, incredible blessing to us, but it showed us the faithfulness of God and allows us to praise the Lord for his faithfulness. Uh, during vacation Bible school, it was on the fourth day, uh, we had 10 uh, kids who gave their life to Christ. Um, and then after that, uh, I was talking to Todd uh, the leader of the group, and we're talking about discipleship resources to give to the kids. And uh, I went to the store, and there were some kids' Bibles there that were really cool, but they were pretty expensive, and uh, we hadn't really budgeted that budgeted those things into you know what we were spending. Um, but what was weird was the day before, someone came up to me with a significant gift and said, "Hey, I just wanted you to have this. Use this for whatever you need." And so we were able to buy those with that money that this person had given us. So that person was incredibly generous, but it was also the faithfulness of God that we saw. And so we praise God for that person's generosity. Praise God for his provision that he provided what we needed even before we knew that we needed it. And so when we're generous with those around us, it allows us to be the hands and feet of God. It allows those people who are the recipients to see God's faithfulness. And so generosity is encouraging. Finally, he says that generosity is unifying. Paul suggests that another reason uh, for the Corinthians' generosity would be that those uh, whom they help would have a deep love for them. In verse 14, uh, uh, scholar George Guthrie translate this, translates this verse this way. He says, they will, keep, they will feel deep affection for you as they pray on your behalf. He translates, they will feel deep affection for you as they pray on your behalf. When we help those who are in need, it not only uh, helps them tangibly, but it also strength, strengthens the relationship. You know, when we think about in our culture, we give gifts. Uh, most cultures kind of have different, you know, rules and different uh, protocols for gift giving. And oftentimes, most of the time, gifts are given to kind of strengthen relationships. And so we give a gift 
uh, maybe for a birthday or for Christmas. And just those are kind of expressions of love, expressions of a relationship. And they kind of build a relationship. But when we think about gift giving in, in cultures you know, like ours, oftentimes there's kind of a reciprocity about it. It's like that I'm going to give a gift and then that person maybe is going to help us in some way in the future. And so I give, this other person gives, and it's kind of a give and take. But when it comes to generosity and biblical standards, I don't think it is a give and take. I think it's completely different. I think that when we're generous with those around us, it shows that we're kind of in this together. So let's say my friend gets really sick, comes down with, you know, gets cancer, something really debilitating. And I decide that I'm going to quit my job, I'm going to stop being a pastor, and I'm going to go and I'm going to take care of them full time. Now that would be incredibly generous for me to do, and you could, everyone would recognize that would be an incredibly generous thing to do. But let's say it was my wife who came down with a debilitating illness. I did the same thing. I quit my job, I took care of her full time. That also would be an incredibly generous, but it would also be kind of expected because she's my wife, part of the family. And in the same way, as we share with those around us, it's kind of an expectation. It's things that we do with family that we don't do with, with everyone else. I do anything for my family. Not doing it, I wouldn't be doing it because I was looking for something in return. In the same way, when we're generous with others in the body of Christ, we show that we're part of the same family. It's not because we're looking for something, it's because we're in this together. And so when we're generous with those around us, it can be kind of a statement, not just, okay, here's something that a physical need that you have, here's my time, here's my resources, but it's a statement, I'm with you. I care about you. We're in this together. We see an incredible scene in Acts chapter 2 in the early church. Luke describes it this way, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The early church showed incredible generosity. When one person had a need, somebody else was meeting that need. And the result of that generosity was the church was just kind of exploding in growth. Now, again, we're not, no one's suggesting that we sell all that we have and kind of live communally. That's not necessarily practical in this day and age. But as believers in Christ, we should have a radical generosity for one another. We're all in this together. We're all part of the same family. And so when we're generous with someone else in the body of Christ, it's not like we're being generous with a stranger that we don't know. We're being generous with a brother or sister in Christ. And it shows them we're in this together. I care about you. I'm with you. And so... Generosity can be unifying when it comes from a heart of love. So again, generosity is glorifying to God, satisfying, encouraging, and unifying. George Sweeting, the former president of Moody Bible Institute, said this, when we come to the end of life, the question will be how, uh, the, the question will be how much have you given 
not how much have you gotten. It's not how much have you gotten, how much have you given. And in closing, the question I'd like to leave with you today is how much of what you have is available to God? How much of what you have is available to God? So my son is just over uh, two and a half, and it's interesting. Uh, My son has taught me a lot about human nature. And I think sometimes, you know, we think about the way that kids are, and sometimes it's kind of like, you know, a window into our souls. And sometimes what they do kind of overtly, and we can see overtly, we do in our hearts but don't realize it. So I've been trying to teach him to share, and he's been getting better with that. Um, But he's an only child, so he doesn't have to share as much as some other children who have uh, multiple children. So I've been trying to teach him to share. And I remember one day, uh, made him dinner, and I think it was like macaroni and cheese and broccoli. And so after I served him, I said, can Daddy have a bite of the macaroni and cheese? He's like, no. I was like, please, no. Come on, can, can I please have some macaroni and cheese? No. Then he looks at the broccoli and he says, here, you can have this. <laughs> now you think about that and, you know, I mean, there's kind of a silliness about that in the sense that me and my wife provide everything for him. He's two and a half years old. I had just cooked him that meal. I had lots more macaroni and cheese. And yet he was holding on to saying, that's mine. See that thing over there that I don't really want? You can have that. I think sometimes we do the same thing with God. God has given us everything. You know, we often ask the question, how much should I give to God? I think that's a bad question. We should give everything to God. He owns it all. It's the wrong question. Everything that we have belongs to God. Sometimes what we do is we hold on to certain things in our life and We're like, all right, this is mine. That thing that we don't want, the leftovers, you can have that, God. But God wants everything. So the question is, how much of what you have, your time, resources, possessions, how much of that is available to God? Doesn't mean he's going to ask you to sell everything and become a missionary. Maybe he will. But for most of us, he won't ask us to do those things. He won't ask us to give everything away. But it should all be available. And when we have that heart of generosity, when we say, God, everything that I am, it's yours. Every gift that you've given me, every possession I have, I'm just a steward. I know that all of it came from your hand, and whatever you want me to do with it, it's yours. There's a freedom in that. And when we do that, when we have that heart of generosity, God increases our fruitfulness. He provides everything that we need. He says he'll bless us in every way. And so there's freedom and joy in generosity. How much of you, what you have is available to God today? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your radical, inconceivable generosity that while we were yet sinners, while we were far from you, you left your throne room in heaven, that you willingly gave up everything, that you became a servant, that you washed the disciples' feet, 
that you endured the scorn of the crowds who crucified you. The hands that you made nailed you to the cross and you went there willingly for us so that we might have eternal life, so that we might have a relationship with you. Lord, help that to move us. Help it to make us people who are generous with those around us. Lord, help us to be your hands and feet. People who are not driven by guilt, not driven by compulsion, by, because we feel like someone else is forcing us to do something. Lord, help us to be people who love from a pure heart, who take care of orphans and widows, people who care for those who are downtrodden. Lord, help us to be your hands and feet. Help us to let go of the things that we're holding back. Say, Lord, they're yours. Do with them whatever you will. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.